Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Glad to be back with you again here on the Real Thing Patriots Podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Fire, as always, to be doing the show with you. And, uh, you know, it's been several weeks now, and it's still true. Uh, I look forward to this show quite a bit. Uh, the study leading up to it, uh, I enjoy it because I'm ready to hand over what I got and dive into a lot of the questions and controversial nonsense we see on Twitter and sort of sort through the real and and uh, talk about what is and what isn't. So I enjoy that quite a bit, and this is kind of a nice little sandwiched week. You have the exciting game against the Jets with its dribbles of controversy within it, and then it's also sort of capped off here on the, on the other end of the sandwich with the uh, the game that I think most look forward to uh, amongst all the 16, you know, this whole air quotes rematch of the Super Bowl, Atlanta coming to town. So we got a lot to talk about. We've got uh, a lot of ground to cover. So I won't spend much more of your time here on the front end, other than just to simply tease that later in the show, we're going to have one of my buddies, a coworker of mine at the Big Ten Network when I was there for a couple of years uh, after retirement there um, with DJ Shockley. And Shock is uh, a, a great uh, a great dude with insight as far as what's going on from the quarterback position. Uh, I, he, he sees stuff I never see. I love I love chatting with him on stuff and uh, because he now basically keeps a lot of the same gigs that I have in the New England market. He has those same ones in Atlanta. He was Matt Ryan's backup for five years uh, with, the, uh, excuse me, for three years, but three of the five years he was there in Atlanta with the Falcons, a UGA guy. I don't hold that against him. <laughs> but uh, works in the uh, work for the SEC Network and does some ACC Network games as well down there. So he kind of sees it all and has that QB perspective. And in a week where it's a lot of QB talk going on, uh, he's the perfect guy to have on. So he'll give us some great insight later. So before we get there, though, we've got to do this Jets game rehash, and I think it's important that we do. Uh, we're not going to do it play-by-play. Uh, and this is not a grab-bag week where we're not, we're not going through and answering uh, – Twitter questions, I didn't throw them out this week. I figured there was enough meat on the bone just from what you saw uh, in the game and then obviously the controversial fumble thing. So uh, we'll, we'll hit on all those, but I don't want the fumble talk to dominate it. There was a game that happened, a lot of plays besides that one, uh, and a lot of this stuff that we want to make sure it's it, how does it relate to what's going on forward, not just spending all our time uh, tracing uh, a game that's several days old now. So let's dive in. So in this Jets game, I think it was very important to understand this is the first point that you make every single time you play a division game, especially a division game on the road. It was hard to say. I spit that out quickly. But uh, it's a division game, folks. That's the important part. Got to say, they're different. Uh, and this is something that, you know, probably sounds excusey from the outside. And I, I can completely understand that. Uh, but they're different. And it's it's difficult to, compl- to, to sort of... Uh, you know, make this make sense to someone who didn't do it. Uh, but you, your expectations are lowered considerably in division games, even when it's a division game against a team that you think is inferior. And I think obviously most people think that of the Jets. But if you were to walk away, relative to the Patriots anyhow, but if you walk away with a full-score win on the road in New York, in your division, that's a good win. It's never not a good win, all right? So I think that's something that's a little tough to say. Well, no, no, you got to beat them by 30 so that we can go home and feel good about it. No, not really. I mean, it's it's just very hard to explain how in a hostile environment uh, with some hostile officiating, which you, you get on the road, that's just normal. I mean, and, and I'm sure the Patriots get their fair share of 
of, of handshake key calls. Uh, maybe that's the wrong word for it, but, you know, favorable calls in your own building. That just kind of happens around the NFL. I know some Patriots fans will say they never get them, and, and I can understand that sentiment also. But I think that the major issue is when you go on the road, you don't expect calls to go your way. You expect a hostile environment. You expect a team that, in this case, knows you very well, will game plan, game plan to keep it from getting away from them. They know all the quirks. They know all the sort of the the unusual things you do, especially in sort of situational stuff where, you know, your tendencies pop up a little more where another team out of division won't be as aware of them. They know your fingerprints. They know what you like to do in certain circumstances, and they can kind of head those off at the pass before they come to play. And then you just got to make plays. So that's it tightens things. It just almost always does. There's, of course, there's the occasional division game out there that gets out of hand, but this is what you expect. And uh, the Jets have been game, and I think they proved in that game that they, they, they've got something to them. They're not a pushover. Uh, they're an inferior team of the Patriots, but they're someone to be reckoned with, and I think they proved that. So all those things are completely independent of the whole uh, fumble controversy thing. It was just a team that, that came ready to play, and I think the Patriots didn't. And I think that was probably the most disappointing thing in the game, that although if they, the, they didn't come to play early, they played late, and that's if you're going to have to choose, that's the one you take. Um, the big thing here I'd point to is as the game kicked off, uh, the drive start was on the 12. So great kick and coverage there. I think the, I was of the mind that because of this defensive series we're about to talk about, that, oh, you know, just the Patriots didn't come to play. They weren't ready to go on the road in New York. How can that not be the case? Well, kickoff team did an awesome job. Really, really hung up ball there that was forced to be taken out. Guskowski did a nice job with that. And the kick coverage did an excellent job. Drive start on the 12th. Can't ask for anything better than that. That is a great way to start a division road game, uh, you know, from the Patriots' perspective anyway. So uh, now this drive is, is sort of one that we will spend a good amount of time here on because I think it encapsulates a lot of the problems. Uh, but it also is stuff that's corrected later in the game, and that's a good sign. So um, and one little tangent here I'll take shortly or briefly for you guys is kind of understanding how the starts to NFL games work in most scenarios. You've heard of scripted plays. You've heard of some of those coordinators out there that have the first 10, sometimes 15, depends on the guy, that they've got that they're going to call in sequence no matter what the hell happens. It's they, They've spent all week studying tape. Uh, they spent all week self-scouting themselves and you, and they've determined that we need to see these 15 or 10 or whatever it is in sequence to know what it is we're going to do from that point. We think these are the the pressure points that we can get at. Now, the defense might come out in something wildly different that doesn't match that, and some of these coordinators don't adjust. They just roll with it. And usually in the, the first sequence, you're going to see some of their best plays, their best stuff, that they at least need to see how you handle it. And, and I'll give the Jets credit with this. They... They did, obviously, really well on third down. Uh, but the Patriots, and I know it's, it, it's tough to fit this into the script because it feels like a bad defensive uh, first series, and it was because it ends up in a score and a march down the field. But the Patriots were actually really good on that drive, by and large, on first and second down. So the feeling of the regular defense, the non-third down, the non-obvious passing situation defense, was pretty good. And so, you know, especially run stops early, especially some of the shorter intermediate pass stuff that were kept the mild gains. There's thirds and tens, third and eight, third and six, all the, the third and uncomfortables that you want. They earned all those, and then they lost all of them. So that's the rest of the story, as they say. So, I mean, and then I guess that makes it a mixed bag. So if you're simply trying to walk away and figure out where this Patriots defense is, the truth of the story is that at least early, uh, they were 
really good in some things that they had been working on. Uh, and then the third down defense wasn't good. And I thought probably the most disappointing thing is is the the idea that McCown got some scramble yards, that drive resets, um, that you know we saw we heard Coach Belichick talk about actually pretty extensively during the week. Uh, you know, it was heaping praise on Josh McCown for his escapability, and everyone's oh he's thirty eight. Oh, what are you talking about? It's like, no, he, he's got quick feet. He can still scoot a little bit. It's kind of like Ryan Fitzpatrick of old. Maybe moves a little better than Ryan does. But he has the escapability to extend or to go get six or eight yards. It's not Deshaun Watson. He's not going to go get 40 or 50. He can't run away from anyone. But he's got short area quickness and really good decision making. So if you if you do a stupid sort of pocket surrounding uh, or you go past it, upfield past the quarterback, he's off and going. So I'll go through here sort of, it was four third down conversions on that first drive. They all kind of happened four different ways. And, you know, I think they improved on the issues they had that cost them these four plays later. But obviously you don't get second chances. Those points come and they don't come back off the board. So the way this went down was the third and 10 opening drive. Um, This is a guy who, if I were sort of vote for your defensive player of the game for the Patriots, it's probably Malcolm Butler. He really had the game changing play later later in the game with that uh, with the interception, huge play, great technique, great reading of the quarterback's eyes, feel, turn, you know, timing, everything there. That was that was a really good play by a defensive back. He just dominated the route and then just made the play in a moment where they really needed it. But uh, and that said, he's also the guy that gets the punch out there for the fumble later on Austin Safarian Jenkins' play that everyone was hot about. So two huge game-changing, boy-did-they-need-it kind of plays came from Malcolm. He also, on that first drive, kind of I kind of forgot about it until I went back and watched the coach's tape, had a really nice vertical route coverage where he just you know held off the fade, jumped up through the pocket, pulls it out as the ball goes to the ground. I believe it was against Robbie Anderson, but a really another nice vertical match that he, that he won. So, you know, again, this is why I always say it's kind of a mixed bag and I think we we can get we can get uh distracted or misinformed or, you know, biased in a certain way by watching games based upon a player two or three and it'll color your entire perception of a whole performance. Uh, I think Malcolm's was definitely a day where there was some up and downs, you know, the biggest plays of the game he provided them at least defensively. Uh and on those two scenarios we talked about, but then also uh, he had some nice, just straight coverage spots where he got his either PBU or, or a defense were at the point where they needed it. But he also gave up a couple of really big plays in pass coverage. So again, it's it's a mixed story. Still a net positive for you, no question. But um, the the couple plays I saw with Malcolm, one was on this first drive. It's back to that third and ten. Um, I think Malcolm was guessing on the route, and and you see this a lot. Uh, I certainly have experienced it myself. You spend all week studying a game plan, studying the other team studying tendencies, you got it in third and 10, you kind of know, okay, at this down and distance from this formation, he's going to run 72% of the time he's running something like this, right? So you start to kind of guess. And it kind of felt like an early, you know, an early, early in the game kind of deal. And Malcolm looked like he was guessing on a post or an in cut or something that sticks. And he spun himself around in a circle. And, and Robbie Anderson made him look bad. So uh, he got he, he guessed on the route, got himself turned backwards, and and it was really, in my view, just one guy beating another. And I think the thing that hurts Malcolm the most on this play, and this is kind of sort of the chance that you get into where, you know, if you when you're talking stick situations and you're an off defensive back, you have to there's a choice that happens at that sticks. Is he about to gear down and stop, or is he going to break it in, out, up, whatever? When you're covering the whole thing, you've got all 360 degrees to worry about. And so a lot of that is weighted by what you've studied. 
you know, you can, you kind of know it's not going to be, you know, you can cut out maybe half of those degrees, you know, and sort of guess on it that it's inbreaking somehow, but it's inbreaking down, up, flat, whatever it would be. Um, it, it looked like your Malcolm had seen something or done something because he really reacted funny to me differently than you saw him later in the game as if he was jumping it from study. That, that's, that's just my guess, but he jumps a route, ends up having to do a 360 himself. Anderson uh, ends up out in the open field all by himself. Big play, and, and in that spot, uh, just one guy beating another. And it, what gets him in most trouble here and why it looks so bad on TV is because McCown was, was eyeing that route. So sometimes in situations like that, when you wheel out because you've taken a false step, the wheel out just simply, simply means like you start – heading in one direction instead of stopping and turning back you kind of continue to do a circle you know like a reverse out of it or whatever but um and that's what Butler did sometimes you can get away with that say had McCown's read been other, other places at that particular moment but he had the unlucky thing that when he made the guess McCown was also staring at that particular route so he'd stared down the middle field he was looking off the safety and he wanted that Anderson route so when Malcolm false stepped it was coming right at him so sometimes in the absence of that false step, you can wheel out of it, and before the you know before the read gets back to that guy, you're on top of it, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, you know, you covered him well. But now, if you happen to catch the quarterback's eyes on the guy that you're doing that at that time, you're screwed. So bad timing, bad technique, uh, good you know, good execution by those guys. So uh, moving on to the next thing here, this is a third and eight. And this is the scramble play that 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 I think is probably if you were to go up and down sort of all of these plays in that in that first drive it's the most it's the most uh, disappointing because there was so much conversation about McCown's ability to do the scramble thing and two guys in my view did it particularly poorly uh, you have Dietrich Wise on the right side he's been great this year obviously been pumping him up and will continue to do so he wins a lot one-on-one uh, he's wild with his length and his ability to separate from people and all that kind of stuff plays with power even though he's thinner uh, and then Cassius Marsh is on the left side um, I, he, the, here's the problem on this play. So they've now bumped Flowers down to the inside. We know he's lighter, so they've got themselves in a third and eight. So I think the thought process here is, you know, we've got it brings Flowers off the edge and puts him on the inside. The thinking being, in a four-man rush, now we've got a lighter, smaller guy. If if McCown steps up and tries to run, we've got a smaller, lighter guy that might be able to run him down. Maybe it ends up being a four-yard scramble, six yards, whatever. But it'll be less than the eight. Lighter guy inside, we're good to go. Well, what happened was Dietrich Wise went way too far up the field. I mean, he ends up at like eight, nine yards of depth on a, on a five-step drop back or whatever it was. And uh, it, as bad as that, uh, Cassius Marsh was just as bad, maybe even worse. I think Cassius was almost up to 10 yards, way behind the quarterback, like several yards behind the quarterback. It's a really bad rush for a guy that you're, you're concerned about stepping up and getting conversion. So pretty poor awareness by those two guys. Uh, you know, it's, it's not the whole game. It's just on this particular play. Uh, but because it had been such a talking point and because you've just given up third down conversion prior to that, I think it's a moment to really be on point and, and focus not going beyond it. So it was not terribly surprising, I guess, to see two young guys fly past and create the opportunity. But then what happens is because they've gone small, gone light on the inside, this whole idea that they'll be able to chase and run it down in the middle with a lighter guy like Flowers is you're also potentially going to earn a double team, right? You're four-man rushing, there's five blockers. So they can turn back to one of the two. I believe it was Butler that was at the other spot. So Butler gets single. He does a decent job getting a field where I think it was a positive rush, but I, I don't remember specifically, specifically what he did. But he didn't get home, uh, and he's being blocked up. That leaves the double back to the lightest guy. So, you know, two ends way too far up the field. The tackle not winning in a, in a single situation, at least not cleanly winning. And now you're doubling with the center and other guard, the light dude. 
So, yeah, you went lighter so he could chase him, but he's also getting hemmed up by two giant people, and he's a little bit lighter guy in the 60s. 260, maybe he's 270, whatever he weighs. So what happened is when account took it down, there, there was nothing coming from, from, from Flowers. He just got hemmed up completely and was actually starting to continue to get blocked as he ran down the field. So um, I guess my point in this is, man, if you had spent so much time talking about it and I think clearly preparing for him to do just that, it wasn't a great reaction to it. Terrible by the ends. Uh, Marsh's is really bad, but he's on the backside of it, so it didn't actually affect the play. But it's just more, hey, man, I thought, you know, I was under the impression you would, you guys would be at quarterback depth and no more this week. Very stringent because you didn't want this guy doing exactly what he just does. And we, what we see then from this moment, and that's why I spent so much time on it, is they moved away from it, right? So they, they stopped uh, going flying up the field so far. And, they, and Flowers, I think, earned a lot more reps on the outside. Okay, we're not going to do the light inside guy. If we want somebody to spy, he needs to be the fifth guy. Or we can do three and have the spy actually be off the ball. But if the spy is actually in the rush and he gets doubled and he's light, these big dudes might grab him and he can't get off. So you saw Wise shorten up his, his pass rush so as not to get behind the quarterback anymore. You saw guys improve. Uh, but, again, it's too late. At that point, obviously, you, you should have figured that out part of practice. You didn't want to have the real bad rep that keeps the drive alive, especially one that ends in seven. But that did happen there. So, uh, you know, bad bad work. Uh, it is what it is. Now, uh, there this wasn't a third down play, but there was a chunk play that came after that, a, a check down to Forte. Um, ends up getting uh, you know a first down in one swing. And uh, that, that, to me, is something else to touch on here because I think it's relevant to the Atlanta game. Uh, there was a little too much check down space in this game. The check downs weren't four or five-yard routes or three, four or five, you know, with a little run on them to be six. There were some 10 and 12s, and you don't want that. You don't want to get your zone drops, uh, you know, to where, you're, you know, you're playing high to low like you're supposed to, but play high to low, rally back down, and stay on top of these things and not get out leveraged so that they become like, you know, full 10-yard plays. So I thought that was something they struggled a little bit with, obviously, early on that Forte one, but then it, it crept up a few other times in the game, uh, something that can't be a thing in Atlanta because they're, they're much more dynamic backs in, in those situations once they get the ball in their hands. Um, so here now we're at third and six. This is, I believe, we're into the – is this the fourth one now? Yeah, whatever. One of the, you know, no, I'm sorry. This is the third one. This is third. This is the third of the third. Uh, the third of the third down conversion in that drive. It's now third and six. Terrific rushes this time by Wise and Butler. Really good. Butler just, you know, gets up. I'm sorry. Butler's just working his guy over. Wise is active as he always is. Length pushes the tackle back. He's sort of like hopping on his his plant foot into the quarterback. Great. Completely busted pocket by Butler and Wise. Woo! Third and six. Got what you needed. Problem was, uh, Cassius, Cassius March got punched off the ball. And what that means is he did a good job. I think his, his mind was in the right place of not rushing now upfield past the quarterback like he did earlier in the, in the series. This time he stops, turns back at quarterback depth. In other words, the depth that the quarterback took from the drop, drop under center. So so as not to go beyond him, he stops, turns in the tackle, and he's going he's gonna to power rush now. But the tackle gave him a bit of a slap, and Marsh stumbles forward three, four, you know, several yards, two, three, four yards, whatever it was. It kind of the, 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 the slap knocks him off a little bit, knocks him off his path. And that would be the one thing I would say I notice about Cassius, a nice energy. I mean, the guy comes in, and he does make mistakes, sure, but he also makes a couple plays a game. So he's a good depth guy to have. It's, he's not a perfect player. Um, and, again, it sounds condescending. It isn't. Trust me, I'm – I'm the imperfect player here with my hand raised as we do this show. So I, I think the thing you give up when you have Cassius on the field instead of uh, 
instead of say flowers as the other end is Cassius is a little lighter in the butt. He's a thinner guy. You know, he looks like, I don't, I don't know what his height is. He's maybe about my height, six, four kind of guy, but he looks like a two forty guy. He's, he's a little light in the butt and he gets bounced around a lot. That, that can be a good thing because he's quick and, and, and is fast around the edges and, and can retrace pretty quickly. He's got some speed to him, but he's also someone that once tackles get on him, they give him a nice punch. They, they fly a little further, you know? So the, on this particular play, if he had held his ground as he got to quarterback depth, the escape doesn't happen. But because he got knocked off a little bit, as you see kind of happen with a lighter guy when it tackles 310, 320, whatever, there's just too much of a disparity there. And he doesn't play quite as strong, as, which is what you'd expect. He's not quite as strong as like a Wise or as Flowers. His little bit of knocked off there is what allows – uh, McCown to escape to that side, and he's being flushed by great rushes by Wise and Butler. And as that happens, mm, tremendous throw by, by McCown. This is probably one of his best throws of the day, and a great catch by, by, by Jeremy Curley. Again, we all know Jeremy Curley is sort of a, a Patriots killer. Man, that guy's, you know, his first stint with the Jets, he didn't do a whole lot against other teams, but he was, every time we'd see him, I was like, how's this guy not like a star in the league? He keeps making plays, he's really good. Uh, and, and, you know, had his stint with the Niners, comes back now. I mean, I don't know what to make of it. It's not like, oh, he sucks, and, and the Patriots are just no good, and they make him look better. No, the, the plays he's making are really good plays. He's an athletic guy, and he is shifty, and he's got some speed to him. I don't understand the theory, and it's not my, I guess it's not my responsibility to, to research and find out why, but he doesn't make as many plays, obviously, in other games as when he does against the Patriots, but he steps up in those games, and he's a valuable guy. This catch, pass catch, just about perfect down the sideline there. And, uh, you know, give credit. Uh, I, I, it's just it's a pocket that got busted because it wasn't played well to the to the arm side by, by Cassius March. Not that it was played terribly, but it wasn't played great. And it was just those, that couple yards of space that McCown then had because his guy got the, the, right, the left hand got knocked off, provided him the space he needed to make a throw a little bit under duress as Wise and Butler approached him, uh, throws a dime, uh, Curly makes a great catch, and this is one of those examples where, man, what do you say as a defensive back? So not, you may have noticed, none of this none of this talk up until this point down into the other team's red zone is about communication or, you know, Gilmore being gone and the other guy not playing well. None of this is about the, the, the coverage stuff that has been such a, such a talking point here for the first month and a half of the season. This is all other issues, right? But uh, this is tight coverage, as good as you can expect, and still not make the play by Jonathan Jones, and it just gets fit in there. At some point, tip of the cap. But all of that in that third and six could have been wiped away had they just got more of a power rush and stop, sort of plant the pole on the left side. Because the pole got moved, there was space, and McCown took advantage. So that's really what happened there. And again, now we're into sort of the mixed back thing. That thing went down on the one-inch line, you know, six-inch, whatever, inside of the yard. Now it's first and you know, you know you just assume they'll walk it in first and nothing there on the uh, on on the goal line area. Patriots actually get two nice run stops, two really good stops. And it's like oh shoot, okay they've earned their fourth third down of this drive. So great stuff. Um, you know it, it it sort of doesn't fit the script that the defense sucks and they just can't stop anyone. They they, they keep getting stops and that's the easy stops to get when you just got a few inches to go. And then comes this play, um, the Austin Sperry and Jenkins touchdown, which I'll put it this way. I've done what a Landon Roberts had to do as a job. It's probably the most unwinnable job in, in professional football. If you wanted to go out there and find a guy who's in a predicament, predicament it's a guy who's an off-the-ball linebacker in goal line in short yard situations where you just have a, a yard to go. I mean, it's just a yard. 
And you have to be the point of attack. You have to get up on the line in a hurry if it's direct run, if it's run right at you, if it's this McGuire come, guy coming at you or Forte or whoever was in at that time. And you're responsible for the tight end who's in your sort of peripheral vision here to the left. You have to man-read a tight end who's actually got you out leveraged. In other words, he's wider than you. He's closer to the sideline than you are because you're in the box. So you're kind of watching him. And it, you have to read run and pass. So, again, you do that out in the field, it's no big deal. You can recover, and you're talking about four- and five-yard gains. When it's only an inch to go, even just the slightest lean, you're screwed. And, you know, it's it's just it's why you almost kind of like to cover the tight ends with someone who's outside there with them, like a safety over the top of them or the defensive end just grabbing them for you. But as an inside linebacker, you are so dependent upon the end hitting the crap out of the tight end and slowing his release so that you can get your read. So you can take a step or two up in a line and honor that it might be a run. And then when it's a fake, you can turn and recover. Well, uh, Flowers, Trey Flowers is to that side, doesn't touch the tight end. He gets through free. Uh, they were uh, like putting a different kind of look in front of Flowers to, to keep his hands off the tight end as he was getting pulled on or something there in front of him with a guard or whatever it was. I don't, I don't recall. But he had some, some, something flashed in front of him, which – took his attention away from just jamming up the tight end and the tight end free releases. In other words, he's not touched by, by formation, by alignment. He's already ahead of, of, of Landon Robertson. All Landon does is take one step in the line because it looks like it's a direct run right at him and it's not. And then you have to turn and you're four yards behind at that moment to go catch this big six, six guy who's out in the flat. It's just an unwinnable, winnable situation. That's why you don't want to get, get yourself in a one yard. It's also something where when I see those, I wonder why you don't see more play action from these big sets because it's so freaking hard on the linebackers. And, again, that's that's more from personal experience. You, you cannot win. You have to basically guess right. You have to say, I'm just going to stay on my heels here and play for the play action and, and cheat towards the, you know my coverage. Or I'm saying, screw it, there's no way I'll turn and get to it. I'm diving into the line. It's, it's really that much because we're talking about a single yard here. And you're sort of rocking a hard place with your responsibility. So Landon ends up looking bad on that play. I get it. it it's, a, it's a crappy play to be in. And, and to be honest, your position coach tells you, man, this ain't a good spot. There's not much better way to do this unless we just sort of put the safety on them and, and wrap them up one-on-one. But when you do that, you bring the safety down and put them right over that guy. Well, then that's what they want to do. They want to run right at the tight with a big tight end because he's got such a size advantage over the safety. So you do it to make them try to keep and play it honest, but they have got such a tremendous advantage from one yard that it's not surprising when you see those kinds of kinds of conversions. Okay, so we spent way too much time on that, but I wanted to be thorough with that first drive because that is sort of the encapsulated bad taste thing that happened for everyone in that game. Now, again, obviously there was another touchdown drive later in the, in the game, and I'll just touch on the one big play in that. Uh, it was the, uh, the touchdown, I believe, again to Curley uh, with Malcolm on him. And I think one of the, the one of the things that we did see pop up in this game that we otherwise would not have and it, uh, had, had Stephon Gilmore been up is you saw in certain situations, and I, I don't know why uh, or what the thinking behind it was or how they were matching, if it was based upon some personnel that they wanted, you know, each defensive back to particular matchup with a certain wide receiver, whatever that was, or if, you know, a shift or emotion or, or them coming out of the huddle differently than expected put them on the guy, you know, uh, defensively because they had some sort of rule that put them there. But for whatever reason, there were a handful of situations in this game where Malcolm wasn't a boundary player, in other words, a true corner, you know, playing out on the edges 
extended, which is where I think he's obviously at his best. On that touchdown to Curley, he was in the slot. You know, he was the, an inside corner there, and he's he's. I think you can remember this back from the Super Bowl. He's not the fastest corner on the field. He's one of the best, but he's not a, a he's not a four two four three even four four guy. I think he's a high four four, or maybe even a four five guy, which is fine because you just you have to play smart and play tough and and be and play hard like Malcolm always does, and you can still be super successful. But those kind of not as Top-end speed guys tend to struggle a little more in the slot because you got to recover so quickly because the defensive or because the receiver can go anywhere, right? Malcolm got beat there from off coverage in the slot, so he's playing way off of it. He's like eight or nine yards, I think, pre-snap, and they just run it over away from him, and it, it's it's uh, it, it's not a good situation. I don't think you want to put him in that spot that much. You'd rather have him out on the boundary garden a guy up in his face or jumping routes or being physical and using sort of his ball skills. This forces him to chase across the formation, a guy that might be just a tick faster, but with all that advantage of space. It might have been a little different if, if Malcolm had been down pressing him to kind of give him a better better opportunity, but they tried to do this from off. So he already had 10 yards of space between them. He doesn't close the gap as the route is run and just still ends up a whisker away. One thing you'll notice on that touchdown is that he reaches with the incorrect arm. So imagine, you know, if you can, uh, you're chasing a route, the guy's out in front of you. You're supposed to reach with your near arm, uh, your near arm being like, so the the arm that's closest to the quarterback. Uh, If you reach with the arm that's further from the quarterback, but maybe closer to the defense, uh, to the receiver, you don't have as much extension. This is probably a point I shouldn't try to make on a podcast or on the radio. It's probably easier to show you. But in the event that you're peeking back at that highlight, Malcolm is reaching with the incorrect arm. And I think one of the things he does is because he's in chase mode there and he's trying to make up for some space he lost from, from the off coverage and then just maybe the speed deficit there in that particular situation. He, uh, he probably at that moment should have realized he wasn't going to quite make it, even if he reaches with the correct arm. I'm not sure if it's a PBU. Maybe in that moment, and again, it's so easy for me to sort of backseat drive here after this is all done, Monday morning quarterback, whatever you want to call it. But he probably should have tackled the route instead of trying to make the play. He was he was a little bit too out of it. He tackles the route there. They live to see another day. Now you're looking at a red zone sequence instead of a busted touchdown. So that ends up being the other score. Now, why do I bring that up with you know without going – bit by bit with that. Well, because I don't want this to be a four-hour show. <laughs> and also because I think it's it's really important to 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 big picture this thing. That was the bust there. Now we obviously know from that point they've got 14 points. They only get three more the rest of the day. One of them is a is a down the stretch field goal towards the end there that the Jets get as they're trying to rally. But this is the part that I think needs more shine. As much shine at least as the other. Starts ugly. Um but I think provides sort of a little psychological, not a test, but a, a study in, in sort of uh, viewing sports psychology. And again, I'm, I'm judging a lot of this off my, my, my Twitter mentions and timeline and all that stuff, uh, interaction stuff on there, uh, because you get the panics. And I, I completely get it. I, I had some of the same thoughts in my head. You, you see two bad things early, two bad drives, and you're, you've seen enough. You, you've painted, that's who this defense is in your mind throughout the rest of the day. They're bad because they were bad for two drives. So those two things happened early, and that's who they are. The things they do later, that's not who they are. That's that's something else. You already know in your head. You already made up your mind, this is a bad defense because I saw those two drives, right? And you know that they've struggled in past weeks, so it's understandable that you would try to connect those two things. What sucks about that kind of, of, of sort of thought formulation, I guess, is that 
there was so much other good defensively that happens in this game that probably goes unseen because you make up that decision in your head that they suck. I saw them suck. I came in thinking they might suck. They gave up two quick scores, so that confirms the bias that I have that they do suck. And the fact that after they scored those two for, those two touchdowns, here's what the defense forced. Punt, punt, punt. Three punts, an interception, halftime, another interception, and then the fourth Safarian Jenkins pump, fumble. Uh, but again, you may not give much credit for this fourth fumble because that was a drive the length of the field. But at least between those things, you got three forced punts in a row and two forced turnovers until the third one comes later. So that's good defense. That's a really big stretch of good defense in here. And as we talk about this, I'm half certain if I don't bring it up in that context, no one remembers that that happens, right? Because you saw what you wanted to see. It confirms what you thought, that you think they're not good enough. Uh, I think the breadth of the game, they're much more than just good enough. They played really well on the road and against a division foe once they made the correction. So the stuff you saw them do wrong early more or less went away. And they played pretty good defense down the stretch. And that's what you'd rather have. So that's why I bring up sort of the psychological element to this. What would you think of this defense had they not had those two 14-point drives early, played three-quarters of great defense, given up the two 14th and the two 14s in the fourth quarter? I think the maybe people see the three-quarters first as who they think they really are and just chalk those other ones up as sort of down-the-stretch drives or something. Or in another scenario entirely where maybe they get one score in the – early second quarter and another score in the early fourth and they're spaced out enough that it doesn't sort of poison the well and make you think that they suck <laughs> you know so i think part of this is 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 just forming opinions based upon how the information's bundled together but i think the best way to look at it, and i think the way the team looks at it i know this from experience is they, they push away from the table and say okay these are the good things you did these are the bad things you did and look oh there's a lot more good than bad and knowing that the circumstances are difficult on the road that's how you judge them. So this was a this was a positive step forward week. It wasn't a great week. I mean, yeah, they're a whisker away had they not forced that turnover on the Jenkins thing of having this be a a twenty four point give up. But twenty four is not terrible. It's not good, but it's it's sort of middle of the league when you get into the low twenties. But uh, you know that's that's the truth of what happened. It's not so good. We know that. And it's not so bad either. You need to acknowledge and, and pay attention to that part as well. So, anyhow, moving on as we get out of this Jets game, I think it's important here that we touch on a couple things offensively again as they relate to sort of the next thing. And it, the Patriots' office to me was a little bit frustrating. Obviously, I don't think Tom was happy at all after this game. Um, it was a weird game that they thought they had some man matchups that they really liked. They were doubling down on back stuff, so they were going to take these shot plays. We saw them do a lot of stuff with vertical 50-50 balls, you know, and vertical sometimes less than 50-50 because there was uh, an extra safety there and a single guy in coverage. So you end up with virtually a double down the field, sometimes almost like triple. But it's sort of a, hey, we got the look we want. Hey, we studied this. Hey, let's throw it up. Works well on a, on a Cooks play. Should have worked well for the Patriots on on a Dorset play. At least one of the two. One was much worse than the other. But when he pulled the bicep, turned the shoulders, jump over, Buster Screen makes the pick. That's that's a play where should have drawn a flag. Now, do I want to see an offense that just throws up a lot of balls in hopes of flags? No. That's, I think the Patriots are way too talented, way too too deep as far as their offensive talent to to need those things to for the ball to move to, for them to put up points. So. 
I found that as sort of a little, mm, that must have just been a this week thing. Let's hope they don't fall into sort of that pattern. Just throwing it up to Cooks or throwing it up to Hogan or throwing it up to Dorsett, hope for a flag and 50-50 balls. Those are really hard misses to come back from and get back in sequence on your on your offensive series. So I think those parts were regrettable to me. I think you'd all feel better. We'd all feel better uh, if, if the Dorset one had got the flags it should have earned, at least on the one, especially since that ends up being such a game changer. And I think that's why there's such a – a pervasive phoniness that went in and went into sort of the reaction from this game, this idea that the Patriots were just, they get all the calls, they get all the calls. This thing was stolen from the Jets. You know, no, dude, the Dorset the got raped and a, and a turnover happened. And otherwise would have been a spotted ball that's probably points. That's points off the board, essentially, for the Patriots offense. And also Darren Lee's just mugging of Gronk that doesn't get, get a flag that would have been a big spotting and points there as well. So two huge plays. And also understanding the Patriots themselves got called tight. They called it tight on them. And it is what it is. It's, it's just a strict interpretation of the rules. But they got called tight on pick plays for their offense. They called one of Cooks. They called one of Hogan. It is what it is. They called it tight for them. And they did not call it tight for the Jets on that winning Safari and Jenkins play. It's a pick play. The, the point man is running directly at Dar- Daron Harmon. He gives him a little chicken wing. It's not much, but it's something. It's, it's at least comparable to what they called earlier. And it makes Duran run the hump. It makes the tackle a little further off. So he's tackling him right there at the one as opposed to maybe the three or four if he doesn't have to you know, fight through that pick. So, you know, there's inconsistency. I think that's what pisses everyone off. I'm of the mind to keep the flag in the pocket the whole time and you don't care. But I, I'm more apt to bitch about it or at least point it out to fans who are going to want to bitch about it in the event that there are inconsistencies. So people complain about Gronk and pushing off. Uh, I, I'm sorry, he, he puts up a chicken wing. You're allowed to do that. You're just not allowed to extend. When people bounce off the chicken wing, that's just physics at play. It's the shack rule stuff. So I thought, yeah, objectively, uh, that you could go back and you could find plays that the Patriots got that they didn't deserve uh, as far as, you know, ticky-tack calls or the things that went their way. And you could go ticky-tack calls that, that went the way uh, the Jets would prefer them to. There were more of them in this Patriots game than Jets. And my review here, going back through and sort of saying, oh, they got away well in there. Both sides, there were more of them for New England. And I'm not saying that's because there was some sort of preference by the refs. Not that at all. Not 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 at all. But I think just a simple quant counting on both sides, the Patriots had more that, that were much more questionable than the Jets did in this particular game. Whatever. So the point is just whatever the point of officiating. Leave it out of the conversation because what did happen on that final sparing Jenkins play, I, I think even if if you feel like it was a screw job, and it was not, but even if you felt that way, you had to have a little bit of awareness of all the other stuff that happened prior to put you in that point. And when you don't, that to me is bias, not the idea that you correctly interpret that the, this Jenkins play was called right. Now, I'm going to finish with the Jenkins play later. Right now, we're going to talk Patriots offense. The Cooks drop bothered me early, uh, and I think it bothered a lot of fans because, man, I'm, I'm, his, I'm his fan. I'm, I'm waving that flag every week here for Brandon Cooks to have the breakthrough. want Brandon to have the breakthrough. Uh, he's close, but he's got to be able to get the got-to-have-it plays in sequence that, that, that can be drive killers when you just don't catch a slant, when you, the comeback is, is bobbled around a little bit. That's the thing you take for granted by not having a Julian Edelman and, and those guys on the field because even, even Malcolm Mitchell – Little sure hands, and I think that's been Cooks makes the incredible stuff down the field. He's he's a great vertical guy. He's a good catch and run guy too, but the sure handedness stuff is he's average there. Where he can be great on the other big time stuff, he's just average on on the possession stuff. And you need to be better than just average. Uh, and then all of a sudden, if he is, this can be a guy that could lead the league in receiving. 
he really has that kind of ability. But again, I think we're back to kind of the conversation pieces has been going on for several weeks. Uh, and, and it came up on that first drive. He just drops the, they motion across. It's great design. Should be a first down. Uh, the series ends up in a punt later. Was stressed from some other reasons, but I just think if they're going to spend the time to game plan you, he's got to be that guy that they depend upon all the time. He's the new, you know, it can't just be Edelman or Amendola making the crazy catch and the got to have a moments. It's got to be uh, Cook sometimes in non go route stuff or non deep comeback stuff. So that was a little disappointing, but again, still on that side, he's, he's going to pop through. Just keep the faith, I guess, in regards to that. But, um, Gillisley's getting Gillisley getting the ball punched out. That was a killer, and I, I think he got put in the doghouse a little bit. But they did at least come back to him, so that sort of gives me some faith that, that they're not done with that. But that 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 was sort of the the real killer. That was a great offensive drive that the Patriots were in the midst of. They were moving. They had they had done it several different ways. Gillisley was running great. Deion Lewis was running great as well. Uh, but I think the idea that. Uh, that happened was was clearly a big killer. He got punched out, got to put it away. I'm expecting him to have a good game, big game against Falcons. Um, we will see, but obviously turnovers kill you on the road. So to overcome that, that's a good thing. Um, let's see here. Uh, we're going to go back here to sort of the big takeaway angle. And I, I think the best thing you have to like is the situational wins uh, from, this, from this Jets thing as we kind of finish this thing off. Situational wins, the improvement in the communication bus plays. There weren't that many of them. There was one later uh, that did happen in the second half that kept the drive alive. Didn't end up in the score, thank God, but it was sort of a busted throwback. You see Chung and, and Butler kind of near the play. Too much in the weeds there for me to do that as a podcast thing. I could explain the idea, but it's it's tough to show. It, it was a bust, but uh, it's not of the same ilk of those you know Texans, Panthers ones. This was lost in coverage kind of thing, rocking a hard place. Um, so I, I, I don't think that we're seeing the, you know, reviewing all the plays that we're seeing some sort of thread still there of having problems with mental stuff. I think that's more or less fixed. So that's a nice takeaway. Tackling's better. Core run play stoppage by the defense, much better. Offensively, I think the, the tip of the iceberg with this running game, it can explode here. May that, may that be more Deion Lewis uh, involvement. May that be more James White involvement uh, in the in the pure running game, or Gillisley with the final bust through here, uh, and I think that is going to happen. I think we're going to see a 150 yard game out of that guy here sometime this year, multi score kind of thing. And Atlanta would be the perfect uh, the perfect ball on the tee to to go get that kind of thing. And again, I'll, I'll talk about that a little more later. But that's kind of my what you saw, uh, what what was learned and gleaned from that. Pleased to win. If you saw any of those Patriots videos, sort of the locker room thing and. Some reaction on Twitter is like, why, with a bad taste in my mouth again, why would you be happy about this? And I'm saying you're thrilled. You won in New York. Who cares what other people think of New York? You won in New York. You run on the road against a division rival. That's how it is. The Steelers are happy when they beat the Browns in Cleveland. You know, The Cowboys are happy when they go on the road and win in, in, in Washington, even if Washington's not at their top. You know, This is just how and if, you know, the Seahawks are thrilled when they go into L.A. and beat the Rams. Because that's how it is in division football on the road. It's hard to do. Teams that aren't necessarily as well regarded on neutral sites are, are tougher to beat there. And you get that victory. You love it. You hug it. And you, you go take a nap with it. So, anyway, we are now moving on. Um, this is. Let's see if I can do this in 30 seconds or less. Because I don't want to spend any more time on the Safarian Jenkins thing. Here's what happened. It was punched out. 
credit that first. Don't skip that part. This is not a fluke. This is not the RG3 play from a few years ago where he's juking an open field and fumbles it over across the line. You have some goofy call that makes everyone feel bad. This is a great defensive play to punch that thing out. The one thing we know right now about the NFL, whatever your feeling is on that particular play, we know that possession has become a major sticking point in this league. The bar for possession is incredibly high. It is, and you got to do, you got to fill out a, a W two. You got to, you got to answer a questionnaire. Like there are so many things you have to do to to prove possession. If we all know that, and you're trying to, if you're sitting on the fence, or or you're even on the other side of the fence, you think he got screwed that he had it. Know this, and know this only, because this is really all that matters. And the officials, I thought, actually explained this very well. Possession, it's a high bar, and you can't clear the high bar of possession if you fumble the ball right at the goal line. There's not enough time to prove under these new screwy rules of possession that you have, especially when it's clearly out of both hands at the, a yard before the goal line, and you try to re-secure possession with one arm that it doesn't end up in on the ground moments later. In that scenario, you're not going to clear the bar of the definition of possession as it is now. You can be mad that that's the definition, but you have to understand that he didn't meet the definition. There's plenty of video evidence for that. It's clear. The ball's out. We all know that. We've seen all the photographs. You've seen all the video. You knew it was out. You knew he did attempt to, to re-grasp it with his left hand, the one that he had it in originally, and he wasn't able to because as he fell to the ground, it slides across his chest and he has to put it in the other hand. We all know that he did more or less control the thing. Uh, somehow, some way, your, 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 your you know, backyard football version of control it, but not in the NFL. It can't move when you go to the ground. And the, switching arms when you didn't have it before then, that's non-control. So this is the dictionary definition. So that's that. That was not 30 seconds. That was probably three minutes. But... The other half of this is, you know, clearly possession was not there. So for the people that think it's the worst call ever, watch a fucking football game. There are so many calls worse than this that actually violate the definition of what the rule is, that they don't get the definition correct. This one did. So just, you know, watch a little football, please. So because there are, there are calls week after week after week where something happens that's the opposite, the antithesis of whatever the rule was supposed to be. This is not that. It meets the definition, even if you don't like the definition. The definition is tough and stringent and kind of stupid. I'll, I'll admit that. But it, that doesn't mean that it didn't meet it. It did meet it in this regard. And, and the idea that it, it came in review, well, they, they discovered the, the fumble in review. They didn't know as it scored that there was a fumble. So it's not that you have to have overwhelming evidence because they originally called it a non-fumble. They didn't originally call it a non-fumble. They just originally called it a touchdown. They just saw him go over the line. They discover the fumble, and they do not have evidence of, 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 well, actually have pretty clear evidence that he did not follow the definition of possession. They just didn't. So that is that. It happened. The world can be wrong on that one and, and make it into a Patriots-Jets bias thing. It's not. That's just the correct interpretation. So moving on to the, the, the final portion of this, and this is where the anger is justified. Everyone should be mad about this, and this is unrelated to Patriots and Jets and all that nonsense. Uh, whichever team you cheer for, or whoever you are around the league, maybe just cheering against the Patriots or, or for the Jets or whatever it is, giving someone the ball on the one inch, uh, giving someone all the ball back when they didn't earn it, it, it feels feels wrong, right? It feels wrong. So that's another stupid angle to the to the rule. So it's probably going to get changed, and it should have been changed before this play. I, this I brought this up actually on past shows in past years, maybe Ness and stuff wherever it is. You should not have a rule that gives the football to the other team in 20 yards of field position when they didn't do anything to get it. You know, they, they may have knocked it out, but they've never possessed it themselves. You don't give it to them and 20 yards, a fifth of the football field. You don't do that. It doesn't make sense. So if your your anger is really 
derived from the idea that the Patriots got it in 20 yards more than whether or not it was counted a touchdown. It wasn't a touchdown. The guy fumbled at the, at the, at the goal line. He knows it. And he doesn't meet the definition of, of possession, especially because he you know didn't carry it to the ground. And all the stuff he's trying to prove that he had is happening on the ground out of bounds. That's not a touchdown. But what makes you makes the makes the anger make sense is the idea that why in the hell did the other team get the ball out on the twenty yard line? I think that helps people fudge the other portion they're missing on the possession angle. So um, I, hopefully they they fix that. And because the right thing here to do if the rules weren't as they are is to just put it back at the one yard line. You know, you lost possession there. You did not score a touchdown. You went out of bounds. Just re, re, re spot the ball. Lost it down. You're at the one. Or if you want to penalize for fumbling at the goal line. Then maybe move back to ten, or maybe use that full twenty yards that you're going to give to the offense, <laughs> the defense, to let them advance it and switch possession. Fine, go put it out to twenty if you want to be really, really uh, punitive in this. But it doesn't go to the other team. That, that just doesn't make sense. So, if the Jets had gotten the ball back in the one and scored on the next down on a direct run, nobody cares. You know, this is not a, a national talking thing. Uh, but or if even they'd gone back to the ten or twenty and had to kick a field goal and got at least three points out of it, it's not a national talking thing. The other angle of this it is indisputable, and I, this, is, this is my belief, but I guarantee you. I, just being around media long enough and knowing this is the case, if this had happened in an Indianapolis Browns game or even a Jets Browns game or in a in a Chargers Redskins game, no one is calling this the worst play that ever happened. It's a lot of media members that have New York ties that did not want to see that go down. So it's more your want to that's driving the hyperbole uh, hyperbole behind how bad it was. There are so many countless plays that are worse calls than that because there's a definition and the play doesn't meet the definition. In this case, it meets the definition. The definition's stupid. That doesn't mean it was the worst play ever. Get it straight. Learn the game. Now, moving on, we are going to get here into the, 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 the Atlanta situation. And this is not going to be a show where we replay the Super Bowl. That's not our job here. Uh, the Super Bowl happened, and they're not studying to redo it. There's not going to be a 25-point deficit by anyone here that's going to have to be sort of overcome. That was a special situation in that Super Bowl. I know comebacks have been an issue for Atlanta, uh, having a 17-point lead a week ago and giving that up. Yes, it's part of it, but it ain't 25. I think this game is going to be played much more straight, so you don't need to study and figure out how we prevent the 25-point comeback this time. If you're Atlanta and the Patriots don't need to worry about you know, 25-point comeback offense or even 17-point comeback offense. Both teams are going to want to play a straight game, get up on top, and, and I expect it will go more that way. Well, you don't prepare for the outlier, I guess, is, is my major point. But as we sort of look at this Atlanta team, it's important here to understand the difference that they've got. A little more health on defense. They came in down a cornerback in that Super Bowl. They've got that back now, and they've also drafted it. The linebacker situation got some longer, leaner guys they think match up better with some of the Patriots guys that present themselves here in this game, a couple of which were not with the team in the Super Bowl. And this is the big major point of all of this. Gillisley obviously wasn't there. And I think Gillisley is a very important piece here because he's a little similar to me to Jay Ajayi. I think the running style is actually very similar. Miami Dolphins running back who had a heyday against Atlanta with a lot of these edge runs. And that's what Gillisley does best. So some of the the ways they built formations and, and Miami chipped away at Atlanta in that comeback was with what I think will be Gillisley two tight end runs at the edges. Atlanta really struggled with that. And that's not really something that was in the Patriot offense a year ago because that's not really Blunt's game. Uh, and he was more the, the, the workhorse at that time. So I think the Patriots are built to go at something that's actually hurt Atlanta a little better now than they were a year ago. Um, I think also something that, that, that comes up here with Atlanta is you have to sort of acknowledge that 
they put all this team speed out there to address things like back coverage, which was such a big problem for them, obviously, in the Super Bowl. 90-play play deck, you know, all the crazy amount of catches to James White and all that stuff. But some of that team speed and length, the Campbell kid in particular, in particular uh, is to match Gronk, right? And Gronk wasn't a part of that game. So you've got two major elements that weren't a part of last season's game that now are that Atlanta defense has to account for. Rob Gronkowski, which is, is, a, is a game plan changer for anyone when he either is or isn't in there. So it, it really changes your approach dramatically. So. so put him in. A lot of the stuff that you saw Atlanta do against New England was really with a lower level of respect for what you need to do to account for the tight end. It's Martellus Bennett, good player, but they're not doubling him down in, down out. They're not sending a help player to him down in, down out. They're not safety shading over him down in, down out. That stuff's new. That'll be different. So there won't be a ton of carryover from the other game, quite frankly. Um, and also Brandon Cooks. And Brandon Cooks has a history as a saint of some real big games against Atlanta. I'm taking that sort of as much from our, our later guest here, DJ Shockley, as anything. Uh, but, he, you know, that's a new, explosive, different kind of player that wasn't really an element on the Patriots' offense a year ago. Had Malcolm Mitchell, which I don't have, and Malcolm made a lot of big plays in that game. But, again, it just it changes the approach because it's a little bit different kind of player. So those two elements mixed in, and, uh, you know, three really. A different kind of back is the lead back if they go that route, and a tight end that's a can be a, a number one option in the offense, and a speed guy that hurts you but that wasn't a part of that last time. So a whole different configuration. So trying to build a bridge between this game and, and the Super Bowl game, it isn't really there. It's, it really isn't. It, this is going to be a new contest, and it'll be exciting for that reason. Same with the Patriots defense. I mean, there's there's just so much new and different personnel that didn't have big roles a year ago, your Dietrich Wise is your Butler, your Cassius Marsh now, and Van Noy playing a little different position. Hightower, hopefully back to the middle by and large, and that was something we didn't touch on with the defense stuff earlier. But his role is kind of back to where I think we expect it. And, man, that guy makes a big-time sack in last week's game uh, against the Jets. I should have touched on that. But that's that's the impressive gamer gene guy that, that, that Dante Hightower is. and he's, he's back and getting healthy. That's a big factor. But defensively, they're much different. So Atlanta's going to be putting together a little bit game plan against them. Um, and edge runs are something I think they'll go after. I'll dive into it here. But remember, we're going here through a couple big recent games. The Miami game, uh, that, that obviously had the 17-point comeback for Miami to come back and win that thing. And then the other AFC East game uh, against the Bills. And the, they lost that game to the Bills as well. In both games, only scoring 17 points, which is really obviously unusual for these Falcons. They're working things out with Sarkeesian now as the as their OC, as opposed to Shanahan, and uh, you know it's it's not to paint them entirely as as that's their only offense those last two weeks. They were a thirty point scorer a couple times prior to that, so it's a mixed bag. You don't know what you're going to get. You respect them, you kind of assume it'll be their best. It's still Julio Jones over there. Sanu's been down for a while. Gabriel's involved. A couple new younger guys that have made some plays for them, uh, but. Freeman and Coleman, I think, is really the, the two good backs are as, as good of a one-two punch as you'll find out there in the NFL. I think stopping them first and then also preventing big plays from Julio, really sort of the impetus uh, of, of what you got to get done against the Falcons. And they may have had a couple weak weeks, weak weeks of uh, offense, but that doesn't mean they can't explode now, not just because they're facing you, but because they're figuring themselves out as much as you are. Uh, that's how things progress in the NFL. So, uh, we'll go through some of the big plays here that came away from the game. We'll, we'll do Miami first. Uh, there was a Hall was a, a young speed guy, number seventeen, uh, that Atlanta has brought up, I believe, off practice squad. Young guy. Uh, they activate him. Speed. You know, Sanu's down. 
they do this sort of double reverse fake thing, and then they hit the big play down the middle. Ryan throws a gorgeous ball. Trick play kind of deal, obviously, going into against the Patriots. You know, they've had, a, obviously, some issues this year with some of the more goofy stuff. Expect some goofiness. So that's that, that's been earned, and that'll be there. I mentioned J.H.I. having a good game uh, as edge running and even some open side running. Open side means away from the tight end. Uh, he looked really good against Atlanta, uh, and I think those Ajayi runs kind of dovetail real nicely with some of the stuff the Patriots like to do where they put the tight end together with Nate Solder or, or pair him with Cannon on the other side or bring in the second tight end with Allen and Gronk and push edges together. And because the Falcons are a little lighter at the linebacker position, there's thin, you know, 230 range guys, uh, but they run you know run fast and hit. And they're good players, but they're a little less anchored. So some of those edge runners, um, runs make a lot of sense. And if you've got a quick guy to the corner like Gillisley, I think those things blow up and, and can be big plays for you. Uh, for the offense for Atlanta, the Freeman runs to their own YY, with Hooper being one of their, their good tight ends that makes the plays out there in the middle of the field. They like to run at their YY as well. When I say YY, that Y is the, the letter denoting a tight end and when you sort of look at a play call on a sheet. So YY means two of them together. So one with his hand on the ball, the off-the-ball guy uh, being the other Y in sort of a wing position. That's YY. So when you're watching the game this week, look for those YY runs. It's been a big thing. Uh, for Atlanta, they've had some success with it themselves, and it's not in you know just for Freeman. Uh, Tevin Coleman's had a lot of production in those kind of runs as well. Both those guys are quick to the edge. Both those guys are pretty powerful through arm tackles. Uh, it's good stuff. They do stretch runs to the YY. So for the Patriots, that means your outside linebacker to that YY has to hold the point. And what that means is you just can't give movement. It's like a double team. Uh, on the inside, like a guy like Alan Branch or, or Malcolm Brown or whatever, when you, you know the old Vince Wilfork days where just no one can move him, you have to sort of plant. And you may not be pushing the block back, but you need to make sure you're not giving up movement. And a lot of times that's in part because when you have the YY, the second tight end is often in coverage. Um, the guy responsible for him is a safety, the down safety. So he, he as he comes down towards that YY as the play develops, he needs to get down there relatively quickly, presuming he's, he's red run correctly and because it, it gets the second tight end off the linebacker and it makes it so you don't get movement so uh safety location linebacker or end or whatever to the yy getting good push making those runs bubble and tackling at that spot huge factor in this game yy runs are a big part of what what atlanta does best so there was a weak side pressure as, as miami starts coming back and they're starting to chip away uh, weak side pressure, basically like a four-man down line, four dudes are rushing after the quarterback, just your basic stuff, but then sending an off-the-ball guy, a linebacker or safety or whatever, off the open side. That means weak, weak sides, fewer wide receivers, or at least no tight end. So they they started dialing that up. So look and see if, you know, the Patriots don't pressure a ton, but they do those little twist games or the little off-the-ball surprise rushes from time to time. Worked good against Matt Ryan. He's been sacked a fair amount of times himself and also has had the interception issues that were much more prominent this year than they were a year ago in his, in his uh, MVP run. Uh, fake reverse throwback to Landry. This is an offensive play that the, the that Adam Gaze did there with the Dolphins. Uh, they, Landry goes in motion fakes, uh, stops, you know, there basically goes in motion as to look as if he's going to get a, a jet sweep kind of thing or a reverse or something as the ball snap, he stops and turns and runs back to the flat. Big kind of quirky play that, that they pulled off a bust in Atlanta's defense with the Patriots using cooks in motion so much and Amendola and having sort of that fake element, even with Hogan, they did that earlier in those first couple games. Uh, 
maybe trying to recreate some of that and causing some confusion because Atlanta's linebackers flow so fast. We saw that in the Super Bowl. They're quick. They're off-the-ball flow guys. But off-the-ball flow guys, you can take advantage of them by getting them to overreact to some sort of motion or, or underreact to something uh, as attention goes to the moving around dude. So um, just to keep an eye here in this game of some goofiness that the Patriots bring in. And because goofiness has hurt Atlanta's defense much like it has the Patriots. So... The Atlanta did also blow late in the game a simple four-man rush. I don't know why it happened, but the, they did not fan to Cameron Wake. Cameron Wake got a free hit on on Matt Ryan, and obviously Cameron Wake's one of the best edge rushers in football. Why you wouldn't fan to him? Why the tackle wouldn't pop out to him? I don't know, but they blew it. So just again, when we have conversations about the Patriots' protection, which is actually very good against the Jets, uh, other teams are having issues too. So Atlanta's protection has not been perfect. Uh, any confusion element that the Patriots can bring in between who is and isn't coming in these four-man rushes, where they locate guys, that can help because it's something that has stressed Atlanta. And then just sloppy special teams plays. This is something that was really in both the Bills game for Atlanta and the Miami game. Um, they they rolled a snap back to the punter. So Ryan has just been sacked in this sort of critical coming back kind of action part of the game and then trying to hold the lead. They get sacked on a blown protection unblocked wake off the edge and then they have a plus 50 punt coming to at least maybe pin the other team back and they roll the ball back to the punter so that's just sloppy sloppy stuff so you don't expect that out of what was last year's best team in the nfc and again you know the patriots have had their their not that particular kind of sloppiness but their degree of sloppiness themselves so it's an interesting matchup here of two teams that have done have done some uncharacteristic things you know so this far in the season one of the things that Tom Brady needs to absolutely ace, and you should know this going into the game, uh, if I were to sort of pick an element in the passing game that was in the Super Bowl that will continue to be in this, is levels. It's levels, Jerry. Now, this, I'm not doing like, you know, like a Kramer thing here where you talk about, when I talk about levels in passing, that's like in cuts that are happening at the exact same time, but at two different depths. So a wide receiver runs down at 10 yards and runs an in cut. And behind them at 20 yards is a similar end cut. And what it does is it creates a conflict for the drop or for the, the, the defender. Uh, the defender that's in a zone situation or the extra help player has to decide are they going to continue to float deeper and go to the 20-yard one and let the uh, Brady fit in in the window on the short guy or play up tighter on the short one and then Tom's got to hit the window over the top to the deep one. So sometimes these levels come from opposite side of one another. You know, the 10-yard end cut from the left and a 20-yard dig from the right and Brady just has to kind of let these things sort it's almost like uh, bumper cars you know you, you let them pass and then see as they pass which comes out on the other side with the greater window and it's something because I believe the dude's Jones 45 uh, for Atlanta I don't have the I don't have it in front of me uh, the, the the depth chart stuff but um, they've got really athletic linebackers I'm, I'm thinking of number number 45 let me look it up here for you guys real quick so so I don't whiff on that. Um, who am I thinking of? 45. 45. Yeah, Deion Jones. Yeah. So he is super athletic and super rangy, and I think he's probably the guy we're talking about when we're talking about fitting in windows for levels. Because he's if you're the middle linebacker who's got no job and you get a float, this guy is the guy that can get back to the 20-yard dig, which is rare. You know, he's got that kind of athleticism in the middle linebacker spot. He can run. Uh, but if you're going to get him floating, you know, fitting in underneath him, or get him biting up with some head and shoulder fakes as Brady is so good at doing, and then fitting stuff in behind him. But the games between Brady and that guy are, are going to be a big part of, of the way that this goes. 
and you don't want to give up. I mean, we know in that Super Bowl, in that first half, there was the interception where it didn't appear that Tom saw the additional help player. So knowing that Atlanta may try to hide the extra guy, you know, drop off a guy that you don't expect to or bring down a safety to a spot you don't pre-snap expect to or use one of these super athletic linebackers to fly off the ball out into space and become an extra player that might show up in the window that Tom wanted for a Hogan in-cut or for a Cooks in-cut or some sort of in-breaking route where all of a sudden a, new, a dude's there you didn't expect. So Tom not, not making those errors, Tom acing that part of the game, which he usually does, but that'll be probably, the, the in my view, sort of the biggest repeatable element. The stuff that was there a year ago, the stuff that still should be there shows up on tape, and part of it is taking advantage of that super athletic linebacker, letting him flow as far as he wants, getting him to flow to the part you want him to, and then coming back to the other element in the levels. So, all right, that kind of uh, that kind of puts a cap on the Miami one, at least big picture stuff. Uh, the Bills one will be much quicker here. Screen game was big for the Bills. Uh, nice stuff with McCoy in there. We know that screen game is something the Patriots use a lot of. Uh, could be a big week in that regards for James White and, or either Deion Lewis. Uh, expect that to be a part of the game plan somehow, some way, because it's shown up as a vulnerability for the Atlanta defense. Usually is the case when you've got fast-flowing linebackers. Catch and run with the tight end. You know, uh, Charles Clay, before he hurt his knee, had a huge game against Atlanta. Super productive day. And he had some downfield routes, which we know Gronk gets those. Uh, but he also had some nice catch and run plays short. So if they're going to sag off and try to run with and on either play, sometimes, sometimes safeties, sometimes these more athletic, longer linebackers against Gronk, it might be some of the shorter stuff because they really had a lot of luck with that with Clay. Okay, fine. If you're going to play off, you're going to sag off this guy and try to prevent big plays with the tight end. We'll throw Gronk a three-yard out route. You know, just quick one, you know, two steps out of your stance, go to the out, get the ball in his hand early, and then let this to be a catch-and-run situation. They had a lot of luck with that with, with Charles Clay. Don't be, don't be surprised, especially if they're trying to guard Gronk with off-the-ball linebackers, not, not the Sam who's up on the line next to him, but maybe the Will or Mike, those guys that are five yards off, or the safety who's off at seven. If they're going to try to take him on with off-the-ball guys, kind of like the Eric Berry thing, well, then you got to hit the catch-and-run stuff. you got to get him the ball early when there's some space between the two of them and let him work over those smaller dudes. So look for that. Wheel routes to Coleman. Tevin Coleman had a big play in that Bills game where they just simply aligned him in one of the offset back spots. I don't know if it was near or far. Near means to the tight end side. Far means uh, on the other side of the quarterback away from the tight end. So he's in the box, but he's in the gun standing next to him, and he just runs a wheel route. He runs out to the flat and straight go route up the field. They like to use Tevin Coleman that way, and I think he's sometimes a forgotten man in this offense. Just as explosive in, in many cases as uh, as the other back who gets the more, you know, Devontae Freeman gets a lot more of the shine. But Coleman is he's really good, and and just showing his straight line speed out in coverage. You know, if they can get him matched on on a Landon Roberts, if they can get him matched on Van Noy, where they feel like, hey, we've got a a straight line advantage here. Uh, defensive ends need to get a hit on him somehow, some way, so he's not free releasing out. I think that goes for really either of the backs. You don't want Devontae Freeman or Tevin Coleman free releasing uh, and, and stressing those linebackers because these guys are, are really tough cover, as tough a cover as you can find in the league. Um, there was a pop kick turnover, and we should mention that on kick return for Atlanta. Uh, Atlanta's kick returns out there. I think it was, yeah, it's Buffalo game. So they, they popped it up. I don't know if it was intentionally so, but it wasn't like a deep kick return. It was kind of just meant to be short. Atlanta blows it, ends up in a turnover situation. Again, just sort of that thread of some sloppiness in special teams. It's there. So there are some opportunities uh, in sort of, 
you know, ragged special teams plays at, at critical moments there with the Falcons. Now they go on the road in a tough night environment, sort of the everyone's watching kind of thing. Keep an eye out there, just to sort of as a, as a little asterisk, you know, a little, little note that you said that, that we talked about that, you know, looking for the game-changing play in special teams, this is an area of vulnerability just from from execution standpoint. I think the Patriots can go jump out on. Um, and a flip play to Coleman. This is sort of the last offensive thing that I sort of circled that said, you know what, they got to be aware of this. Flip play means you see all the action go one direction, and the quarterback just turns and flips it to the back as he heads sort of opposite where the blockers are. So you're using the misdirection as his blockers. You know, you're not going to have a blocker out in front of him necessarily. Maybe you pull a guy. But look for that. And the test there is whoever ends up being the edge of the end of the line player, whether that be the defensive end or an outside linebacker, that you don't suck in with all the direction blocks or a reverse action by a receiver or whatever it is, or just Matt Ryan extending the ball on the other side and then turning and flipping and getting out leverage, and all of a sudden you got that rocket out in space as Tevin Coleman. So those are some things that I just wanted to sort of highlight. I know that they'll be a, a big part of the conversation with the Patriots defense. They, they do a very similar thing of just saying, here's what they do well, how would it then apply to what we run, who's going to get stressed. Uh, you know, I think this is a week where Dante Hightower has to have a big game matching Hooper in the middle of the field for some of these conversions, but then also transitioning into a guy that can provide some additional pass rush stuff. He'll be matching backs as well. Just a really big test week for Dante Hightower. They need him filling in the run game. They also need him at points at least beating up on the back so they're, they're not breaking coverage plays. Uh, and then also fitting in on Hooper, who's, who's a good move-the-sticks guy for this team as well. So test for him on the inside. Uh, and overall, let's just have a have a fun game. So uh, that's kind of my view on the Atlanta Falcons. Let's now bring in uh, my buddy DJ Shockley, a former former uh, Atlanta Falcons guy. He's going to have some great insight here. He used to be Matt Ryan's backup. Uh, does a lot of great work down there in the Atlanta market covering this team. Let's hear from Shock. And as promised, my buddy DJ Shockley is with us. It's a pretty good, pretty big pleasure here for me to have DJ on. Uh, we've talked on the FBF podcast in years past when we weren't just doing a, a straight Patriots show, but Shock and I used to work together at the Big Ten Network a few years ago. Wonderful to have you on. How are things, buddy? Things are good, man. I appreciate you having me on and all that, man. It's uh, definitely fun to talk to an old friend, man. Like you said, go back to our Big Ten days, which are fun times and it's been a few years since then but uh always good to catch up and always good to catch up on games like this when our Falcons and Patriots are you know back at it again yeah it's it's crazy shot because we had uh I kind of remember this moment I think I ran into you a little bit before the game of the Super Bowl yeah. and then I saw you passing afterwards also and it was kind of one of those moments where actually we also <laughs> ran I also yeah I know I also ran into Scott Pioli who you know? Who brought me into the league? I've got a lot of love for Scott Pioli, but right. I, I, it was sort of that death walk. I just remember there was that you know, man, things changed so dramatically in those last few minutes. It was kind of like, well, you know what? I'm going to talk to Shock a little bit more. And let this thing <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think anybody and everybody that had anything to do with our side of it, which was the Atlanta Falcons side, was kind of in a, a, a state of shock after what just had happened. You know, within five minutes of that, that game ending, it was it was quite an ending, man. So it definitely was a little bit different on our side than I knew it was on your side for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I it, again, it's probably an interaction I'll, I'll never forget. I just remember I hadn't seen <laughs> Scott Pioli. I hadn't seen you for a while, and I wanted to kind of catch up. I'm like, yeah, it's ain't the time. And I ran into Scott. <laughs> 
I ran into Scott actually on the field and I chatted with him just briefly before him and Belichick ran into each other. And oh. it was kind of like, man, I saw Scott and was like, I don't know what to say to you, man. It's like, it's been a right. while, but that is not what's on your mind right now. Yeah, and, that's one of those awkward moments where you kind of just, uh, good to see you and uh, keep moving, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> This is this, you just went through a really traumatic professional thing, so I'm gonna we're oh, gonna let man, it breathe. Yeah. But no well, here we are now, it. though. Here we are now, though, buddy. And this is not. I don't think if you and I had had that conversation a little more more deeply after the game, either of us would have thought we'd have been talking about exactly what we're talking about now with these two teams. So that's why I think it's kind of exciting to have you on. So it, just as sort of a, a party starter here. What if you're a Patriots fan and you you remember that Falcons game quite a bit? Records aside, neither of these teams' records look like what we thought they would look like. What about the Atlanta Falcons today is different than that team that they saw in the Super Bowl many months ago? Well, you know, I think there's a, a few different pieces that they brought in. Obviously, if you go back to that Super Bowl and late in the ball game, obviously the Patriots made a, a bunch of adjustments, especially offensively. And defensively, you got kind of worn down. And I think the Falcons last year were in a position where they had a such a group up front that they really liked. It was probably three or four or five guys at the most on the defensive line that they really trusted in the moment. And that was a big right. part of it when, you know, the Patriots run 90 plays or whatever it was, guys get worn <laughs> right. down. And coming into this season, the big thing was the Falcons wanted to add some depth to their defensive line. They wanted to have some guys who can manage those situations where you, you know, have a team that's coming at you like the Patriots were and be able to have some depth up front. So from last year to this year, they've added Dontarius Poe, who came from Kansas City. You guys are used to him over there in the, in the AFC. came over. He's a big part of the, the middle part of the defense. Remember Grady Jared, who had a huge game in the Super Bowl, had, you know, two or three sacks in that ball game. Uh, so they wanted to, you know, kind of combine him with another big guy in the middle who could stop the run. Uh, they they brought it with Jack Crawford from Dallas, who ended up you know hurting his his biceps, but he's out for the year. So that's a, another piece of the depth. And then they went out and drafted a guy in Tack McKinley out of UCLA um, to play defensive end. Another guy who can rush the passer, along with Big Beasley and Adrian Claiborne. So I think the biggest thing, the difference from that game in the Super Bowl to where the Falcons are now, uh, is the the depth that they bring, especially up front when you play against these teams that like to throw it and, you know, run a bunch of plays. All righty. So then we, that's sort of the roster setting the table. I kind of thrown it back to you. If you're, if you're looking back at this particular Patriots team, probably your biggest fundamental difference is a guy you should be very familiar with there down in the South uh, because Brandon Cooks obviously is now part of the team. So he's a guy you'd seen twice a year anyhow. So you know Brandon. So it's basically Julian out, Julian Edelman out, Brandon Cooks in, and now Gronk is available. But they've lost that good number two in Martellus Bennett because Marty's now in Green Bay. So I guess that would be sort of their fundamental change relative to the defense that you said got much deeper. Uh, and obviously the, the the record with the Falcons isn't where they want it to be. It looks like the offense is a little more muted than we remember. But that said, relative to the points you just made, I'm just looking here at the output of the games that they've had. These have not been sort of the, you know, Falcon Saints kind of scores. They have been. Yeah. Not, they didn't win the last couple against AFC East opponents. Right. But they're at low numbers, you know, 20s and yeah. teens kind of thing. Is at least Danny Quinn a little bit happy with that sort of uh, maturation, I guess? Well, you know, I, I think they want to score more points. Obviously, last year the Falcons scored 540 points, and uh, that was, you know, a record for them and, you know, one of the tops in the league. And I think when you play in this league, as you know, 
you got to score points. You got to, you know, convert those, you know, when you get in the red zone from field goals to touchdowns. And, you know, you guys add a guy like Brandon Cooks, who was a killer for the Falcons over the years playing in New Orleans. And the Falcons will get a chance to see him, which is he's a dynamic part of what they do. Um, but uh, I think defensively you've done a great job. You, you want to be able to hold teams to under 20 points or – you think if you do that, you got a chance to win a ball game with your offense. But lately, it's been an issue with the Falcons of some of the, the, the things that hurt them over the years in the first quarter of the season has been missed tackles on defense or it's been uh, turnovers. And one thing that's uncharacteristic is Madden had a few more turnovers than he's had, you know, over the past few years, especially early in the year. And I, I he's had a couple tip passes uh, in the first part of the season that's added to it, but when you're not able to stay on the field, it's a tough part. You talk about the AFC and and what, you know, the Dolphins look like. I know you guys see them, you know, a couple times a year. They, you just – you know how good their front is. I mean, they have a very, very good D-line that get at you. They change the line of scrimmage. Cameron Wake up front was huge versus the uh, Falcons this past week. Uh, Chris Harris, I mean, Don Kassou, all those guys are, are definitely game changers up front for you. So it was – very hard for the Falcons to run the football, and they were in third and long a lot of the time. So that made it very tough for them to to, to actually move the chain and score points. So uh, I know they want to correct some of those things, but uh, I know they're excited about playing the Patriots. And uh, the Falcons won't admit it, but they're really looking forward to this right. game as, you know, a, a moment to say, yeah, we, we let one slip away from us last year. So they're looking forward to actually getting up to Foxborough and, having a chance to play against this this Patriots team. I half wonder this, and I, I, I've been through this as, uh, I, I guess, well, just just my own dumb luck being on a, at that particular organization for all those years. I, I, I got to do this several times on, on the Patriots side of it where you, you play, not maybe necessarily the next year. I think this might be a little bit unique. I don't recall playing the Rams, Panthers, or, or Eagles directly after. But maybe you hit them in a preseason or you hit them a little further down the line right. and you start right. looking back at the old film. Um, this is something that Coach Belichick actually addressed today. And you'll know this well, Shock, from your, your time with the Falcons and your time in the NFL. Like we, the idea of cut-ups. So, and I know Danny yeah. does these really well because Danny did it. I, he was my coach with, with the Jets. Uh, he was D-line coach there while I was there. And I know that, the Patriots are big on it's not they're big on telling you that hey it's a brand new team it's a different matchup than what we had in the Super Bowl things are new but there are yeah. cutups and that's that's going back to stuff that will be applicable finding those 15 plays of the 90 or whatever that might oh, yeah. actually carry over so I, the question I have for you is with Sark there now instead of Shanahan at OC is it a complete fundamental change or what would you from sort of a quarterback's eye see a little bit different now with that offense that might be and, something different than we would expect from last year? Yeah. And I, and I think you bring up a good point of, especially you do a lot of self scouting. You do a lot of looking at that previous game to see what worked, what didn't work. Some things you can bring back, especially matchup wise versus the team that you, you just played a year ago and, you ask about Sark, which is an interesting question. And when he came in, he kind of learned the Falcon system instead of him bringing his own system in. Now, he, of course, just like any coach, they're going to bring in a couple of wrinkles here and there, some things they like to do. But for, I would say, 85 90% of it, it's what they did last year. you got to think about it. Fox coming into an offense, like I just mentioned, that was tops in the league, you know, scoring 30-plus points a game. Yeah. 
540 points. So it's like, if it's not broke, why, you know, why, why try to fix it? <laughs> and he definitely came in and, and, and tried to keep some of the similar stuff that they did last year. Uh, terminology, uh, pretty much the same. And Sark came in and said, we're going to do what you guys love. And one thing I thought was pretty cool was when he came in, when he first got hired, he sat down with, with Matt Ryan and he said, I want to know things that you like. I want to know, he asked them, let's go back to your days at BC. Let's go back mm -hmm. to all your different coordinators that you've had here in Atlanta. And I want you to let me know all the, the concepts or the, the plays that you like and let's try to make sure we implement them into our system. So I thought that was pretty cool that he came in and wanted to learn Matt instead of trying to bring his own system in and say, all right, everybody else has to adapt to me. Right. And it's, it's, it's fun uh, to see it work. And I think it's still early, man, to be honest. They've had their ups, they had their downs. Uh, obviously, last week, you played against the Dolphins, you put up 17 in the first half, and you scored no more for the second half. Right. Uh, it's definitely one of those things that I think they're still – figuring each other out. They're still trying to find the, the right mojo uh, that, that, that should work for both teams. I mean, work, work for both of them offensively. Uh, but I, I still believe this is kind of similar to the same offense. They want to take shots. They want to be explosive. They want to run the football. Um, and that's going to be the staple of who the Falcons are because we all know we've seen them. Uh, the pass game is definitely predicated on the run game and have that, that play-action part of it. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because it's it's sort of a theme that I try to preach on this particular show and that you feel comfortable with the personnel. You know who you got. You know what they can do. But the October freakouts after a game, even two games, <laughs> you know, even yeah. three, just it seems so inappropriate with this particular sport because it's so big on, on practice and game planning and getting better with reps. And like you said, sort of learning your guys and your personnel and learning the offense. So – I, I'd kind of look at Atlanta. I mean, let's put it this way. If I'd seen them do four weeks in a row of 17, I don't think that would change my opinion. They're incredibly dangerous because I still know who Matt Ryan is. I still know who Julio Jones is. I still know <laughs> no doubt. I still know, you know what I mean? So it's and, like, and, and, I, and that's, that, that's, that's the kind of similar way. That's the similar way the Falcons look on the other side of it is you can watch the film versus Carolina. You can watch who, you can watch them versus, you know, just whoever they, that they play the Jets and you say, well, they, the defense has struggled or, you know, they didn't look the part. But then you say, well, you know, they still got that guy named Tom Brady on the other side. I mean, come on. Anytime you look at it, you got him, you got Belichick, they're going to find a way to right the ship. And that's kind of how you look at it. You throw all this stuff out the window and Falcons can score 17 points versus the Dolphins and go out and look like world beaters versus the Patriots. I mean, it's just you played it, I played it. It's week to week, and they're going to find a way to be successful on offense, defense, and special teams. And, you know, Belichick has done it for years. Brady's done it for years. They're going to make sure that, you know, they iron out whatever the issue is uh, for, for each and every game for sure. So w this is a question that I sort of had teed up ready for you because I figured, you know, I've, we've been doing this every week with, with generally every week in a way, with, with former players that happen to play for the team that were coming up to play. So you're the first quarterback that's been on. And one of the biggest issues that has faced New England, uh, and we can just keep this not necessarily specific to New England, just more in general, is yourself being a former quarterback. When you're coming up against a defense that you know has had issues with, air quotes, communication, like there's been busts. There are a bunch of busts where you see it's not, you know, receiver just beating a DB. It's a DB just 
turning something down. And as a quarterback, you locate it, you take the free play, it's a big play, and the defense is pissed at themselves. When you are in an offense that may not do those kinds of things, but you see on film, ooh, they build bunches, uh, you know, through motions and shifts. Or, <laughs> oh, oh yeah. they do other things that seem to be hurting them. How difficult is it if it's not core, it's not essential to what you usually do, to install that in a week and run it without screwing up to hurt the other team? It's tough because you're human. You look at the film and you see concepts and you see formations that you you think should be simple for a defense to be able to pass off or to be able to communicate in and out or whatever it is, you know, how, how, how you guys talk over there. I know you guys talk over there, man. I know you guys talk <laughs> about stuff like that. But uh, you, you see that on film and you say, okay, we got a simple concept and we know that it can be maybe a little bit different for them to, to be able to handle. And sometimes as a quarterback, you know the big play, that the possibility of it could happen. You may not read it the same way you would if you just going into a game where you know they play it straight up. And if you watch it on film and you've seen it two or three times and you see them, you know, point to each other and then you snap the ball and guys are running whichever way and <laughs> you find guys running wide open, sometimes you take your eyes away from where you should be. And as a right. quarterback, and you see that on film, you get into the game, and sometimes it's so hard to just go through your primary reads and progression because you feel like, well, this is the same point in the game, this is the same situation, this is the same third and seven, and we got this formation call, they're lining up in the same coverage, and you say, well, they busted last time. Let me <laughs> let me just peek my eyes over there. And then all of a sudden they play it right and you're in trouble. It's it's right. it's a thin line for a quarterback to have to be on his keys and make sure that you're, you know, actually following the rules of what are your progressions are in a ball game when you watch it on film a couple of times and you say, hey, I want that big play too. I want an easy <laughs> touchdown throw. So that's one thing I know Matt's going to probably deal with is making sure that, you guys do it as well, as you say, have no eye violations on the back end or the linebackers, you know, following the all the, you know, we call it the eye candy with the, you know, fake the die, take the reverse and get guys looking in the backfield and wonder, hey, I got a chance to hit a big shot. So it's going to be fun to watch and see if both sides really stay stay true to it. Well, I think that's some excellent insight there because that's something I, I always wonder because – you know, we're on such limited practice time now. You you can't, oh, if, yeah. if you, if it's not what you already do, or it's not something they can refer back to that was in a training camp <laughs> practice or a preseason, it's really hard to install new stuff at this time. Cause you're just worried. Like you said, you might only get one or two or three reps at it. And if you right. blow it, you might've wasted a series there and you'd just rather right. be you, but you know, th- there's always going to be some game plan specialty plays, but I just wondered, uh, you know, how much that'll actually play in here. So now I, one of the things that I would throw to you here that I think if, this is just my personal opinion, but with both offenses, both defenses, and both special teams groups, I think fundamentally the group that's most different of those six, you know, comparing both teams, is probably the Patriots' defense. And it's not so much that they're worse or better or whatever. It's more just the personnel change. There's a lot more new faces there, I think, than all the other groups. Uh, yeah. We we don't yet know because we haven't gotten practice sports. We're doing this show here on a Tuesday, but. We don't know if Stephon Gilmore is going to be back from the concussion, but that's yeah. clearly a different corner than Logan Ryan from a year ago. Uh, oh, yeah. A lot of changeover in the defensive line. Lawrence guy comes over from Baltimore, uh, but a lot of faces from Rob Ninkovich, who was a stud here for so many years, to Chris Long, uh, to Jabal Sheard, all those guys out the door. 
Um, the defense for the Patriots is as much as you were saying, hey, trying to get used to Sark, they're trying to get rid of their use of their defense. So has there been <laughs> anything that, uh, you know, from sort of that point of view that, hey, the way this might be a matchup, this is how Atlanta is going to take advantage of that particular group? Yeah, you, you know what? It's one of those things where, like we talked about at the beginning, you, you, you got a different cast, you got a different group, and everybody's going to come in and say, all right, it's the Patriots versus the Falcons. It's a revenge right. game for the Falcons. You're playing against the Patriots who, you know, came back from you. And at the end of the day, like you just mentioned, there are like six or seven, eight guys that weren't <laughs> even uh, are playing this game that weren't even part of that game. Right. And it's going to be the same thing for the Falcons. they got some young guys who – were sitting at their in their living rooms watching the game on TV. It's kind of <laughs> one of those things is you know uh, you gotta you gotta play the personnel that's out there, and they're gonna watch the film. They're gonna uh, they're gonna critique them just like they would. They're playing them in a Super Bowl, but it's gonna be a different cast of guys, and you can't go in it with the same mind frame that they had last year, and vice versa for the Patriots because it's gonna be a new look defense over there. It's gonna be a, a couple of new uh, people on offense for the Falcons. I mean, it's just. Uh, even in the return game, I mean, last year, I mean, you think about this year, they got Andre Roberts for the Falcons, yeah. who wasn't even on this team last year. And he's their punt returner, he's their kick returner. He saw the game, but it's not going to mean the same to him playing in this ball game as it was to a, a Devin Hester or something. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a little bit different for guys to come into this situation uh, that weren't playing in it and weren't a part of it. And I think the bottom line is you got to prepare like any other game. You can't look back on what happened last year because right. uh, there's a whole new cast of characters that are part of this ball game that's going to make it a little bit different than it was back in February. Yeah, and I think that's often something that's missed. I think it resonates. It, it seems kind of obvious to players, but fans see the same stickers going at each other. But like you said, right. I mean, there's going to be a, a third of the roster out there, a quarter of the roster, whatever it is, or looking around going, well, I don't need, uh, I don't need to get, you know, redemption. I wasn't a part of that. <laughs> or, or why are you so mad at me? I didn't have anything to do that, you know? Right. Uh, but anyway, okay, so this is sort of one final thought. And I, this is kind of the, we do this as a big takeaway, and, and I kind of can do it back to you. I'll do it first. So okay. uh, just general thoughts of my point of view at least about how you how you attack Atlanta from what the, the couple games I've looked back on and where I think they're at this year and I actually went back today and I hadn't done this yet before I jumped on with you and I rewatched the Super Bowl which I really hadn't done I maybe watched it the week yeah. after real quickly but I actually watched it a little bit easier for you to go back and watch it it probably is but you notice stuff you didn't know and there's other things you thought yeah. that were great that were maybe only good and things you thought were terrible that weren't quite as bad as you thought but they came out of that game, and I had the perception that the Patriots really struggled to run the ball against the Falcons. Yeah. It was a pretty good first half that way. But they net out, you know, 25-ish carries for about 100 yards. So it's not, like, terrible, but it wasn't something that was dominant. I come into this game kind of presuming that they'll need to establish a run much better than they did in that Super Bowl. Why? Because you got Rob Gronkowski back. So Rob Gronkowski, yeah. when there's a play-action element, is a killer. When it's oh, dropped yeah. back every play, I think you can start to key on them a little bit. So I look right. at that as a huge factor. We'll both, you know, keep an eye on the Patriots establish that run. And I didn't even mention Mike Gillisley. He's still kind of a new toy that they've kind of sort of used, but not really where I think a lot of people thought it would be through six weeks. So uh, that to me is sort of the big sort of fundamental thing I'll, I'll kind of keep an eye on. Can they establish a run? Because when they did last year and that, and they, you know, the Falcons are rolling through those first three quarters, a pass rush starts teeing off. And I think a lot of that's aided by the fact that it wasn't much run game on the other side. 
Falcons actually ran the ball pretty good in the first half. And I think that's something that gets overlooked, how they started to build their lead. Couple broken plays. Uh, both of the dynamic backs had a bite. And a couple times where they got them into first or second and uncomfortables, uh, you know, or I'm sorry, second and third and uncomfortables, they broke out of them with runs, big cutback runs cut across the field. And I was surprised to see that because that was not something we were talking about going into the game. So controlling the Falcons running game, I think a lot of that starts with that. And as much as you talk about Matt Ryan, Julio, and all the, the great players, uh, that's something I think is core in this game both ways. So now back to you. So you're looking at the Patriots out of sides of the ball. What do, what do the Falcons really need to accomplish to, to come out of Foxborough with a win? I think we talk about that game and we talk about what happened and how they were able to make the adjustments, especially after halftime. And like you just talked about, a guy like Mike Gillisley, uh, you know, there there were so many guys who you guys have gotten off season. Brandon Cooks, we talked about, who is a huge threat, especially out of the slide, or just a a quick and, you know, fast guy. The matchup that the Patriots – you know, bring to this ball game, especially with those quick, short guys who who make plays in space versus the Falcons linebacker core. And a guy who's going to play a lot for the Falcons is Duke Riley, who is a a rookie who they drafted out of LSU, plays linebacker. They drafted him, I think, primarily for this purpose of being able to guard players like a Gillisley or Ryan Cooks in space or Gronkowski and and all that and that all that kind of stuff. So I'm looking at the matchup between the backs and those interior players of the Patriots against the Falcons linebacker core because they have a group of linebackers that really don't come off the field. Uh, they're long, they're athletic guys. And we saw last year in the ball game, in the second half primarily, there was a lot of mismatches, especially with the back coming out of the backfield, knowing it's man coverage. And I think that's a big part of the game too, how much man coverage of the Falcons play. I, you're looking at back in that ball game, I think the Falcons felt as though they had to play man coverage because they didn't want Tom just to sit back there and pick them apart. Well, if you sit back and play zone, then, you know, he still has that opportunity, and then you got wore down up front. So uh, I want to say that depth really is a, a, a factor in this ballgame getting after the Patriots up front. And then also the matchups with the backs, like you just mentioned, the backs of the Falcons is going to be similar to uh, the backs and the interior guys that work the middle of the field for the Falcons who really had an issue. And the big issue is Gronk. I mean, obviously he didn't play last year, but the Falcons have historically had issues with big tight ends or athletic tight ends over the years, especially in the NFC South, where there's a bunch of good tight ends. That's been the issue. So how Keanu Neal in his second year plays against Gronk when they have those one-on-one matchups, you know they like to split them out wide. They like to find those matchups where Gronk can be a, a real issue for any safety or linebacker that's put on him. So that's going to be something that I really want to watch to see how the second-year guy, Keanu Neal, matches up versus a big physical grunt and those interior guys versus the Falcons linebackers. All right. Well, that's some great stuff in there. And I think the matchup-based stuff is really what this is going to come down to. So the, I think the coaches right. can rest easy at night. I don't think either this is – I don't <laughs> think either Dan or Bill is going to out-scheme one another. I think some guys are going to have to make plays, and that will invariably uh, decide this thing. So uh, one sort of parting shot for you on the way out the door. Um you know, obviously, this is a pretty pretty big shakeup in the NFC happens last week, and it doesn't really time out well for for your particular team. I mean, I, I look across sort of the NFC, and we were having this you know conversation as a preseason show. We're talking about can the Falcons get back? We're talking about are the Packers going to make the run? Is is Dallas still going to be real? The Giants, whatever. I mean, there was sort of a conversation. That same little bubble of four to five teams, I think, was a 
relative consensus. Right now, it seems like a bomb's gone off in the room. You know, there's there's yeah. none of it looks the same. And with Aaron Rodgers going down, even though the 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 Falcons have stumbled here for a couple weeks, NFC's kind of got a lot of a lot of opportunity out there. Where do you see sort of the Falcons, independent of this particular game, but just finding their way into January again? That's that, that's the big part of it. Is you know, the NFC's still wide open. And the really only clear-cut team that's playing probably the best football is the Philadelphia Eagles. We saw Carson Wentz and what he did. We thought Philly and Carolina in the game this past week on Thursday was one that you say, okay, this is going to be a game that you look at and say, wow, this could be probably the NFC winner or possibly the, guy, the team that makes a, a huge run at it. But Carolina still up top. Uh, you saw New Orleans go get a big win versus Detroit. I mean, it's – it's going to be interesting to see how the NFC shakes out and the way it's playing out now towards the end of the year, everybody gets into uh, their division game. So it's going to be uh, a quite interesting run at the end of it. I think the Falcons still have a, a good chance with anybody, but they got to fix some things that are happening right now. In the last two weeks, they haven't fared where versus the, the AFC East for sure. And, you know, you, you get the, the reigning champs coming in at home. So I think this is a good measure stick for going forward for the Falcons, but uh, definitely NFC is still wide open for them. Uh, you never want to lose games, but if you're going to lose some some games, you know, why not out of conference, you know, where they right. won't directly uh, hurt you, especially when you're talking about winning the NFC. So it, it'll be an interesting thing, but I still think the Falcons have a very talented team that could definitely compete for going forward, and losing Aaron Rodgers was a, a big, big, Thing for the NFC, everybody knew that you know the Packers were going to be there at the end, but now maybe not so much. Right, big hole, big hole. We don't know who's going to fill it, but I, I, I think you, you, kind of hit, you hit the nail on the head. I think when when invariably we look at these things, you back away and you start talking about December games and presuming all these same Falcon guys are healthy. It's like, well, those are all good players. So I'm kind of, no, I would have to no put a chip down it. and they'll figure it out and they'll be involved. So uh, <laughs> this again was DJ Shockley, my buddy there back from the big 10 days. You can find him on AtlantaFalcons.com, SEC network down there, ACC network extra doing games uh, much like I do up here. So similar roles down there with the NFL team and the new college in the area. So thank yeah. you so much shock for coming on kicked ass as always some great insight there and uh, enjoy the game. Hope uh, I can't say I hope it goes well for you again. I kind of hope it turns out like the last one. I apologize hey, man, for that. Return but, uh, the favor, man. You guys already got one. Let us go yeah. in and win one in Foxborough. We'll be good to go. We'll be even. And hopefully hey. we'll see you guys again in February. We can talk again. And maybe, and maybe our passing will be a little bit different then, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, if, if that ends up happening, it's in cold-ass Minnesota. So, I don't know. <laughs> it's not, not nearly as enjoyable. You're right. <laughs> All right, buddy. Take care. Thanks for coming on and doing it. You you kicked ass as always. Take care, pal. All right, MC. Appreciate it, man. Bye. All right. Awesome stuff there from him. As as I kind of pumped up, uh, he did not disappoint. Love what DJ had to say there and gave us some insights and stuff as far as depth and, and things that they've done on the defense that I was a little unaware of. Uh, and again, it, it kind of gives you the psychology of that team and, and what they're going through. The whole world does not revolve around you. There are all these other little planets and all their their particular issues. So with the Patriots, uh, I think it makes for for a very fun matchup uh, that isn't a replay of the Super Bowl. It's a replay of two new teams with with their own sort of set of disappointments. I think the, the, uh, secretly, sort of from the birdies I hear in the building, kind of thing, they're mad offensively. Because this 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 should be a team that puts up thirty on everybody, no matter what, and they don't like that 
even though it was the division game, only getting 24 on the Jets. couple ragged series there, obviously putting the ball on the ground, but then giving balls up on go routes. They hate that shit. This, this offense is too good to give the football away. They've just got too many other ways to move a football to want to give them away on 50-yard go routes. So um, that part sucks, and you're getting an angry Patriots offense, not in relation to replaying the Super Bowl, in relation to wanting to put up 40 on someone, not just 30-40. And I think they're motivated that way. I know they're motivated that way going into this. They don't feel great about the last two times they dressed up with Patriots gear on, albeit on road games, and uh, felt like they've left a lot of football out there. So now in front of the world, it's a real nice opportunity to make a statement that that offense is back to top of the heap, especially with, you know, like Aaron Rodgers going out. Not that, not that that's on the Patriots' mind, but as some of the other top offenses, uh, you know, that had that stamp, um, you know, would potentially here go by the wayside. I think they're reasserting themselves that this is a diverse of, of an offense as there is in football that's got, you know, that's at like their 2 out of 10 sort of range. They've got a ceiling much higher than what they're doing right now. Uh, I think they're motivated to blow it up. And the Patriots defense that needs to play well situationally. I'll go ahead and say this now. Yeah, Matt Ryan's probably going to throw for 300 yards. Who gives a rat's ass? Points, people. He, they need to prevent big plays. Julio Jones is getting healthier. He's getting his yards. He hasn't been in the end zone. So there's going to be some moving of the sticks for sure. But the Patriots need to prevent the big plays. They need to stop the run first. The stretch run stuff, the YYs we talked about in the running game with Freeman and Coleman, and they need to prevent the downfield stuff, keep everything in front of them, and win a whole bunch of red zone series. You know, force field goals, force midfield punts. Uh, they may move the ball from 25 to 30, you know. They may move the ball in the middle of the field. You don't want to create vulnerabilities by overplaying stuff and giving up big plays. No one play drives, right? I think that's really sort of the, the onus upon them this week and the stuff that we focusing on the most. It will have been a good week if you keep Matt Ryan and that offense under 25 points. Now, even 20 is even better. But if you end up with a teens number, as if, as they've gotten the last couple weeks, you did great work. Uh, but most importantly, make sure they've got less than you've got. So big week for the Patriots defense, a huge challenge, because this is a, a, a plus 30 offense typically uh, that had two bad weeks, much like the Patriots' typical plus 30 offense that had two down weeks. So two offenses super motivated to get back on track and two defenses that got a, got their hands full to try to keep them down. All right. Thank you so much. As we always say, that was that was a deep show. I know I may have, have gone a little long there, but I thought there was a lot to cover, and I hope you enjoyed it. Please continue to share this thing. Uh, many more thousands of people are, are starting to migrate into the show, and I love to see all the downloads. I love to see uh, our, our weekly numbers go higher. Uh, and I love that, you know, we, we're, we're doing something that apparently people seem to be enjoying because each week the numbers are greater than the week before. So share the show. That was the Real Thing Patriots podcast. I'm Matt Chatham. Enjoy this weekend's game. And, damn it, it's going to be an early Monday morning. Stay up late with a Sunday night and enjoy that groggy Monday you'll have next week. Take care, people. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned.